podcast, every week I'll share leadership thoughts, books I'm reading, or tools I'm using to teach leadership skills. I believe everyone has influence. Every family, school, church, city, country is determined by its capacity for effective leadership. So let's jump in. Well, last time was part one on innovation, creativity, the ability to live from a foundation of security so that not necessarily you go into wild-haired ventures, but that you have a sense of renewal about yourself, your identity, your life, your leadership. In 1997, a study of the consumer product design firm IDEO found that most of the company's biggest success originated as, quote, combinations of existing knowledge from disparate industries. I love that. IDEO's designers created a top-selling water bottle, for example, by mixing a standard water carafe with the leak-proof nozzle of a shampoo container. The power of combining old ideas in new ways is how they came up with this best-selling bottle. My friend and mentor, Dr. Gary Sweeten, is fond of saying, for example, psychology, the principles of psychology have helped me understand scripture, but scripture has also helped me understand psychology. When you combine what seems to be, maybe in that case, slightly connected realities, but in some cases, utterly disparate realities, often you get your most creative expressions. So, for example, the power of combining old ideas in new ways would extend to finance. The prices of stock derivatives are calculated by mixing formulas originally developed to describe the motion of dust particles with gambling techniques. Now, think about that. Modern bike helmets exist because a designer wondered if he could take a boat's hull, which can withstand nearly any collision, and design it in the shape of a hat. And one researcher on this said a lot of the people we think of as exceptionally creative are essentially intellectual middlemen. They've learned how to transfer knowledge between different industries or groups. They've seen a lot of different people attack the same problems in different settings, and so they know which kinds of ideas are more likely to work. And sociology called these middlemen, middlewomen, idea or innovation brokers. One of the reasons I love reading Fast Company magazine is is in every issue there are always a number of people who are coming up with fresh ways to deal with some of the challenges in our climate, some of the challenges sociologically in our culture, in relationships, some of the challenges that we're facing in economics. You see, there's not a specific personality associated with being an innovation broker, being that person who comes up with solutions. Almost anyone can be an innovation broker as long as as you and I are pushed to be that. Most of us digress to comfort. We digress to that which is predictable. And so almost all innovation happens as a result of desperation. That's right. Uh, if you doubt this, read the process of Disney's Frozen going from a potential bomb to an all-time hit. And it was a brutal process that came as a result of desperation and personal history. 
Let me explain it. After a test screening with everyone involved in the production of Frozen that showed a major, major weakness or two in the film, over the next month, the Frozen team focused on the relationship between the movie's sisters, Anna and Elsa. In particular, the filmmakers drew on their own experiences to figure out how the siblings related. They drew on their own experiences to figure out how the siblings related. They wrote, we can always find the right story when we start asking ourselves what feels true, one of the creators said. The thing that holds us back is when we forget to use our lives, what's inside our heads, as raw material. That's why the Disney method is so powerful, because it pushes us to dig deeper and deeper until we put ourselves on the screen. In this case, the two sisters, they really realized needed to manifest that siblings have a particular reason why they have rivalry with each other. And the eventual movie reflected that reality. The Disney system forces people to use their own emotions to write dialogue for cartoon characters, to infuse real feelings into situations that by definition are unreal and fantastical. And this is so important for all of us who lead, especially lead out of the understanding that everything in our lives is redemptive. Everything that's ever happened to us is potentially potentially a, an opportunity for incarnation that impacts people forever. By drawing on our own lives as creative fodder, we can have an amazing impact. And we all have a natural instinct to overlook our emotions and experiences as creative material. We do. But a key part of learning how to broker insights from one setting to another to separate the real from cliche is paying more attention to how things make us feel. So a few weeks ago, I, uh, I shared an experience that has is resulting in a number of different creative iterations I shared the experience of my one of my older sisters Sherry being asked to have an abortion when she became pregnant with my now 41 year old nephew Adrian and uh, that was such a painful time for our family Uh, you would say there is no way that is going to be redeemed fortunately Sherry was is an incredible courageous person I love her and respect her so much. And uh, we've been able to talk about that a lot. And a few weeks ago on Martin Luther King weekend, I was able to share out of that experience. And and it was church leaders who were asking her to take care of this problem. They had arranged to eliminate this problem. And, and my personal passion to renew church and my personal lack of patience for stodgy religious church people, my personal passion about the pain of abortion and the pain of racism all intersect in that story. And I don't know personally that I've ever had, and this is just from my limited perspective, a higher redemptive impact on people than I had in sharing that story, but just based on the responses I've gotten from it. Now, that's a that's a story of pain. It's a story of, of deep, deep family dysfunction and 
religious dysfunction. But the number of people who responded to me and said that was so real to me, the number of people who have been part of families who are biracial, the number of people who have been as we were, we were basically shamed out of that church. I still have vivid recall of experiences of shame as a family, as a McMahon family at, at the church at which that happened. Now, that has, that has been a process for me to process in my own spiritual journey. I'm still not all there with being prejudiced toward religious people, but God's working on me. And I was able to share out of that. And I'm telling you, tap into your life. Tap into the process of not living in the past, but being in utter connection with your experiences. As I uh, told you, I feel like this is going to be the most creative period of my life. And so we're in the process right now. I'm writing a book about 1975 that we're also going to give as a companion of a performance, a show, an event that we're going to create and hopefully produce. It'll be done by next year called 1975. And what it was like to be a 14-year-old whose family was coming apart at the seams and uh, in 1975, and we're going to use the music of 1975 to tell the story. Uh, listeners in all candor, I will not be surprised if that has a high impact. Why? Not because my life is anything special but because all of us have a story. That when we tap into that story, our most creative impact emerges. Until next time, this is the Leadership Podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week as we continue learning and growing in faith, in life, and leadership. And if this has been helpful to you, subscribe and spread the word. And I will talk to you next week.